Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Nick Tarter. I want to thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Bethany, Oklahoma, learning what it looks like to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, so that our world can be saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. We invite you to join us on this journey, and we hope that this content will help you to grow to be the person God created you to be. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we continue what we started last week. Uh, last week, our t- the title of the message was Living Light, and we focused on the fact that, um, that through Jesus Christ, we have a living light within us. And that living light does a couple of different things. Um, one, it, uh, it illuminates for us the truth of God's word so we can actually understand what's real. And it also illuminates for us the world and how broken it is so we can actually see that with reality. We don't have to pretend like this world is, uh, is, is a great place. We don't have to pretend like this world is everything that we ever dreamed that it could be because it's not. And we know that, right? And, and, this, and this living light is alive within us constantly. And we're growing. And it's from God. It's not from us. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's all because of his love for us and his grace. Right? So this week we're going to continue this on this theme of light. But this week our theme is persistent light. We have the living light. But we also need to understand that that light is persistent in us. And we also must be per- persistent in living within the light that we've been given in Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's, this week we're going to focus a lot on sort of our part, joining God in his work. Now we know the scriptures tell us that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? In other words, we, we, salvation is something that we are given as a gift. Uh, Martin Luther used to say it this way, and I love, um, I love the way he put this. He says, we're saved by grace alone, but it's not a grace that remains alone. In other words, that when, we, when we've been touched by the grace of God, something within us changes. And we begin, to, we begin to do good, not out of like some compulsory, like, I have to do good or God won't love me. But we begin to do good because God loves us, right? So, so whereas like most people are doing good because they, they want to be accepted, we don't have to do that because we already are accepted in Christ, so now we do good works because we're accepted and because we love him. It's, it's a total change in the way that we think. I want to bring your attention to a story that, that we're probably all familiar with. Um, I would say even most people who don't know the Bible know this story. But um, it's out of Luke's gospel. Uh, and um, very specifically, this, this is a, a parable that Jesus tells out of Luke chapter 10. And it's, well, I mean, Jesus tells it. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. He doesn't tell it out of Luke chapter 10. But anyway, um, it's the parable or, of the Good Samaritan. And so, pretty familiar with that story, right? Uh, so, so, just to kind of recap the story, you know, there's this guy and he's traveling and he gets mugged. Right? He gets mugged and it's bad. Uh, he's, he, he's beaten. He's left for dead. He's totally robbed. This guy is left completely destitute. And, uh, and with no one to turn to. I mean, if he's just left there, he's going to bleed out. He's going to die. And what happens is, um, over the course of, of some time, a couple of really good religious leaders, right? Good-looking religious leaders, 
walk past this man. Just walk past him, and they, and they see this man bleeding out, and they, and, and they just basically say, well, you know, uh, that guy really looks like he needs some help, but I'm really busy right now, and also, I don't want to get tricked and get mugged myself, so I'm, I'm just going to keep moving along. This happens twice. You, you get, you, you get a, um, two religious leaders, a Levite and a, I believe a scribe is the other one. Anyways, they're, they're two religious leaders, two teachers who would be well-respected in the community and really looked the part. But then the third person who walks by is a Samaritan. And, and if, we're any, if we're familiar at all with, with the culture of that day in Israel, we'll know that the Samaritans were not well-liked. And it was, and by the way, you know, speaking of dealing with racial issues in a culture, <laughs> um, we think we have racial issues. Those people hated each other, Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. And there were a lot of reasons for that. I don't need to go into all that. But, but just know there was a major racial rift between Jews and Samaritans. So Jesus is clearly making a point here because uh, the two Jewish religious leaders who should have been the good ones who would have stopped and would have helped this person walk right past. And the one who stops is the Samaritan. The Samaritan, the person who was the outcast in the society, the marginalized Imagine this, okay? Uh, now, what's the best example in modern day? Maybe, maybe for us as Oklahomans, how we might drive around Texas so we don't have to drive through it. You know what I mean? Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Uh, but they, 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 I'm just kidding. People from Texas, we love you, okay? Um, but uh, we, just, we, we just don't like your football team. Um, we, uh, but, but in those days, they would, they would literally walk around Samaria because they didn't want to go through the land because they thought, hey, we don't want to run into any Samaritans and potentially get defiled, <laughs> you know. Um, it was this, this incredible prejudice that existed. And, and here Jesus says it was that guy. It was the marginalized outcast, the one who's supposed to be bad, the one who had the bad religion, by the way. They weren't orthodox. And he's the one who stopped to help this person. You know, the amazing thing to me about this parable isn't, it wasn't the people who looked the part who did the right thing. It was the person who you wouldn't have expected to have done the right thing who did the right thing. And, and I think what this reminds us of is that having it all together on the outside is not what counts before God. Having your religious pedigree, if you will. I remember before the Lord really got a hold of my life, probably before I really was filled with the Holy Spirit, I had made a profession of faith. But I really, in my mind, I had this, I had made up this version of Christianity where it was really about how good I am. That I had to impress God with my actions. And in order for God to accept me. And so, you know, I worked really hard for God. I also burnt myself out really hard because I was constantly trying to do a spiritual work in my own strength, and it just wasn't working. So it's not, on, it's not what's on the outside that counts. It's having a heart of faith that's pointed towards God that really counts. Because you can see when, when somebody has religion, they can still be caught up in, in their self just like Adam. I've seen that plenty. I've seen it in myself. 
I've been guilty of this. I, I, I've been religious, and yet my, all of my religion was focused on me. I was never asking the question, how can I honor God? I was asking the question, how can I be accepted? It's about me. I wasn't turned out towards him. And, and remember that the root of the very first sin was Adam and Eve felt like they had to justify themselves. The devil came to them saying, you're not really complete. You're not really good. Remember what God said after he created them? He, he looked over his creation. He said, it's very good. God didn't say over Adam and Eve, eh, they're adequate. That's not what he said. He said, it is very good what I've done here. Remember, creation was just good for seven days or for six days until he created Adam and Eve. And now it's very good. God is saying, look, they are so good. They're the crowning point of my creation. They're so good. They've taken creation up to the next level. It went from good to very good. They, it went from like an A to an A+. Plus. And that was very intentional. God knew what he was doing. But here the devil comes along and sa says, you know, you're not really as good as, as, as God said that you are. In fact, in order to be really great, here's what you got to do. You got to add this thing to yourself. And what they do? <laughs> we remember the story, right? They reach out, they grab that fruit, thinking this is finally going to make me complete. This is finally going to make me very good, even though God already said they were very good. And they ate the fruit. And what it did is the exact opposite of what they thought it was going to do. Because it's the pursuit of self at all costs that is actually what's destroying us. And, and, and the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't understand because we turn inward and we think it's about us. And so these religious leaders who just walked by this broken man, all they were doing was... was focused on their own self-preservation, their own happiness. And they were willing to leave a dying man, which, by the way, goes against everything the Jewish religion teaches, right? Isaiah chapter 58, isn't the fast I choose to take care of widows and orphans and to keep oneself unstained from the world? Micah chapter 6, I have told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk with kindness. Christ himself says what the summary, the summary of the law and the prophets is that we love God and love our neighbor. See, they had missed it, and yet this man who didn't have it all together, who didn't look the part, he is the one who understood. So i got to point it out again. It's not what's on the outside that matters to God. It's what's on the inside. And where's our heart? Are we turned away from ourselves and toward God, or are we turned inward towards ourselves? And to, you know, Is our religion about pleasing God and about making him happy and about pursuing him and, and showing his glory to the world, or is our religion about building ourselves up and making ourselves look good to other people and being accepted? It's a, it seems so subtle. The line between my, me being focused on myself and me being actually focused outwardly towards God. People who 
think that they can somehow save themselves by their good works. Even though their intentions may seem good, at the end of the day, they're, they're really not any good to anyone because they're not, gonna, they're not going to express the character and nature of God in this world. He's looking for people who are humble enough to put aside their thoughts, their feelings, and their emotions, and even their own well-being to serve Christ and others. Everything about what Jesus says here, well, this, this parable, and, and, and when, he, when he tells us the great commandment, understand it's all about turning away from self and towards God and others, right? Love God, love your neighbor. This parable is, is one of the perfect lessons to, to uh, illustrate Jesus' command to love God and love people. And this is what Christ is about. And when we live this way, it shows light shining in us, even if we don't look the part to the rest of the world. You can be somebody who doesn't have it all together, who doesn't have all the perfect Instagram pictures. You can be the person whose life is sometimes borderline in shambles, but if you love Jesus enough to have your heart turned towards him, you are the one God chooses. How do I know God chooses you? Because you have that light in your heart. We'll get, in, we'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But, but listen to what Jesus said. This is at the end of that parable, Luke 10, 36 through 37. Which of, which of these, these three people, do you think proved to be a neighbor for the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed him mercy, they said. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So here's what he's saying. He doesn't want us just to hear the story and then turn around and do something different. No, he's saying, I want you to be like the Samaritan man. I want you to be selfless, to turn yourself, to turn away from yourself and your own glory and, and your own, all, all these things that you may build for yourself in this world and turn away from all that and towards me. And when we're turned towards God, we're going to be turned towards other people. We're going to care. Selflessly. Now, let's jump into the passage. Now, here's what Paul says, because he's going to highlight some of these ideas that we've introduced just now through Jesus' parable. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and here's what the scriptures say. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced the secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is God's word. Can we give God praise for his word this morning? Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for the light of your word. So, uh, so, so here's where we're going to go with this. We're going to 
we're going to look at a couple of sections of this uh, in, in some different ways. And I actually want to jump back and start with verses 4 and 5 because we always want to ask the question when we come to a passage of Scripture. Okay, this is an important question, and I know I've, we've said this many, many times. We're going to say it many, many more because we always want to ask this question, who is God? What does this passage tell us about who God is? Reason being is we can't find any application in any passage of the scriptures unless we first understand what it tells us about who God is. We often say around here that every sinful thought, action, behavior, whatever, it finds its root in a false belief about who God is. So we have to get our understanding of who God is corrected if we're going to overcome the brokenness in our own hearts. It's really important. So we're going we're gonna to understand who is God. I want to make a statement to you because Paul is really clear here in verses 4 and 5. He tells us that the Lord Jesus is God, Right? Last week we emphasized that the Holy Spirit is God. This week, this week we're emphasizing the Lord Jesus is God because Paul tells us very plainly in verses 4 and 5 uh, a couple of things about Jesus. He says he's the Lord, and he also tells us very plainly that, that he is the imprint of the glory of God. That we see the Father through Jesus. Now, I want to point out uh, a couple of other passages of Scripture as we, as we move into this, but I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to make it really clear here that the most important thing about a person is whether or not they understand who Jesus is and whether they have trusted in him or not with their life for their, own, for their salvation. I, I believe that's true. The most important thing about a person is whether or not you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. Because if you don't have Christ as Lord, nothing else really is going to matter in your life. Because at some point, all of our lives are going to end. All right? All of us. We're going to translate from this world into the future world. And, and the Bible tells us that if, we're, if we translate into this world, into the next world, we are eternal beings, by the way. <laughs> we're created by God to last forever. That's why we were made a spirit and we're clothed in flesh. But we're spiritual beings made to last forever. And if we translate from this world to the next without Christ, the Bible says that we will be forever without Christ. And that's not a good place to be. Now, now why, why is that so important? By the way, that's why God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. And because there was a tree there called the tree of life. If they ate of that fruit, they would have continued in their sin forever. And he was like, that's, worse, that's a fate worse than hell. And he kicked them out. Because he, he knew that, that human, humans without God's presence would never be anything more than a tortured shell. And so in his grace, he kicked them out of the garden because he had a plan. That even if they died, if their bodies died, he'd preserve the spirit of any who believe in him and these bodies will raise from the dead. Those of us who trust in Christ will raise to life. Those who don't will raise to judgment. That's what Jesus tells us in John chapter 5. So, so it's really important. What you believe about Jesus is critical of you. It's the critical trait of who you are. And it is life or death. So, so we're told here that Christ is the exact image of the Father. Christ is the true expression of the glory of God, and he reveals to us what God is actually like. Let's read verses 4 and 5 again, just so we have this fresh in our mind. In their case, talking about the world, the, 
the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. By the way, when it says God of this age, it's not talking about our God. It's a little g God. He's talking about the devil. So here's what he's saying. Because we trusted in the devil's words rather than in God's words, we gave the devil power. And so there's a sense in which the devil is the God, little g, of everyone who's apart from Christ. Adam and Eve listened to his voice, and now we're all cursed to hear his voice. And his, the accusing nature of his voice, which, tells, which always tells us, you've got to be better so you can measure up. Nothing's changed, right? That's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. Same thing is happening today. So, so the devil has blinded us so that we can't see. Last week we talked about that veil. Well, Paul refers to that again. There's a veil over the heart of everyone who is not in Christ. So here's why. He says he, he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you know how meaningful and important that, that phrase is? Who is the image of God? You know, Jesus wasn't just a baby who was born in a little barn. Okay, He's so much more than, more than that. Scripture tells us he is the literal image of God. And, and then they go on to say, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? Ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And, and understand when he says firstborn, he's not saying Jesus was created. He's saying he's preeminent over everything. He is the head over it all. He's chief, master, lord, if you will, from all eternity. John tells us in John chapter 14, verse 7, it's actually Jesus. John's quoting Jesus as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If we've seen Christ, we've seen the Father. Here's what Peter told uh, the, the, the believers, or not the believers, but the, the crowd he was preaching to, the very first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is Lord. He's preeminent. He's the king of the universe, and he's also our Savior. Uh, those two together don't seem to fit, but they do, and it has to fit. If he's going to save us, he must also be Lord. One of the biggest problems that we face as humanity is that we aren't able to see God for who he truly is. And because we're stuck within ourselves, as we've already established, we're stuck within ourselves, and everything that we see comes through the lens of Adam and Eve's fruit rather than through the light of the truth that we have in Jesus. So just like Adam and Eve, they set a standard for us that we're turned inward. We're turned towards ourselves. We keep thinking we've got to do more to save ourselves. And, and, and it's counterintuitive. It's against the way most people think to think, well, I've got to turn away from myself and towards Christ. Like that seems like there's a death in that. And there is, by the way, you, there's a death of something in us, some something of the old nature that we inherited from Adam that has to die in order for us to receive Christ. 
So we feel that. We feel the tension in that. But even though it's counterintuitive, it's the one thing that we must do if we want to be saved is turn from ourselves and towards Jesus. By choosing to follow Satan's guidance over God's, the world has been plunged into this darkness. And the only way out is through repentance and belief in the gospel. That's it. So Paul wasn't, wasn't concerned about himself here. He wasn't so concerned about whether or not people recognized him as an apostle. It wasn't his primary uh, directive. But rather, he wanted people to see Christ through him. And again, this statement is really difficult for some people to understand because it's the exact opposite of the way most of the world is. Most people will look at Paul and say, man, if I were Paul, I would have really used my, my, uh, my position to get some power. And here Paul is saying, I don't care if I'm even noticed. Remember Jesus' brothers, when he, when he said, I'm not going up to the festival, they said, hey, wh- who, who's, you know, any, anyone in this world trying to make a name for himself wants to do, do these things you do publicly, and yet you hide them because Jesus, Jesus refused to take the fruit of Adam. He refused to do things the way Adam did things. He says, I'm not here to gain power and influence for my own sake. I'm here to do what the Father has called me to do. I'm not here to get famous or popular or whatever. I'm just here to do what God has told me to do. Now, Jesus said that. Paul, same mentality here. Because Jesus is Lord. And by the way, if I say Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not. Nor is anyone else in this world. It's a very profound and powerful statement. And Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, well, what, what does that mean? You know, no one can say Jesus is Lord. People say that all the time, and they don't mean it. That's what, that's, that is what we mean, that people who say it and mean it can only do it by the Holy Spirit's power. So if you've spoken out and said, Christ is Lord, you actually mean it. You're submitting your life to him. Understand, that's a miracle work of God in your life. But he's not only God. You know, Jesus Christ is not only Lord and God and Messiah. He has also extended mercy towards you and me. And now this is super important because Paul understood that if, if we have anything that is worth anything... We have it because God has been merciful to us. Here, here we're told, you know, this is a, the very first verse in this passage. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Paul says we are persistent. Our light, the light in us is persistent, and so we are persistent with it. Paul under, uh, the, um, sorry, this is a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, the best of men would faint if they did not receive mercy from God, and that mercy which has helped us out and helped us on, we may rely upon to help us even to the end. God's mercy is persistent in your life if you're in Christ. The definition of mercy from the New Oxford Dictionary, by the way, is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. Do you understand that we are in that place 
of receiving punishment from God. Like that's the natural position that we deserve to be in. Remember the old hymn, nothing of myself to bring simply to the cross I cling? See, if you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've come to understand that you don't have anything to bring to the table. You come as an absolute beggar with nothing because you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and it's Christ who made you alive. In our case, we have received mercy because Jesus Christ was crushed in our place. His work on behalf and on our behalf has cleansed us of our sin by grace through faith, and he has opened us up to receive mercy because Christ has burst through the wall of sin and death in our hearts. Now we can receive the Holy Spirit and his mercy. He made a way for us. Paul was confident that God's mercy was evidence that God was on his side. And and if God was on Paul's side, he had even more reason to continue to press on with the work that he was given with confidence. The same is true for us, by the way. If you've received God's mercy, does that not make you more confident that God is at work in you? That God is moving through you? By the way, we're told right here that the reason he gave us mercy is because he loves us. He loves us. He cares for you and me. Which leads us to the next thought here. And that's that we are receivers of God's mercy through Jesus. That's who we are. Now remember, Jesus is Lord and he has extended mercy and we are those who've received his mercy. And this is important because if the most important thing about you is what you think about God, the second most important thing about you is that you understand what God thinks about you. We've got to understand who we are because of who he is and what he's doing in us. So in verse 6, he's, Paul is so clear about who we are. Listen to what he says about us. In verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We have had the light of the gospel illuminated into us so that we can clearly see. The same God, by the way, who spoke everything into existence, cares so much about you that he personally has reached out to you. We need to stop on this because I, 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 we don't want to miss this. Uh, I remember my, one of my pastors growing up used to always say, and I love this, He said, God loves you so much that if you were the only one, he still would have sent Jesus to die. Do you believe that? He loves us collectively as the church. But do you realize he loves you? He loves you. I don't know if I'm feeling a lot of faith about that statement from the room right now. Do you actually believe God loves you? In spite of you? Because here's our tendency. I don't know about you guys, because here's what I do. When I'm contemplating on this, I start to think about all my junk. I start to think, well, I mean, I know in my mind that God loves me, but sometimes I don't even love myself. Anybody else feeling that? 
think the Spirit wants us to know this morning that God has enough love for you to overcome your lack of love for you. We've got to trust in what he says about us more than what we say about us. More than what the devil says about us. Understand, he's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. Because what the devil, you know, his job is to get in your ear and be like, I saw what you did last night. Parents, you ever hear the devil say, I saw what you said to your kid. And then we start to beat ourselves up and we think, man, I'm such a terrible parent. I'm probably not worth anything. I'm a parent, so I, like, I'm, I'm there. You know, I understand. But like the accuser of the brethren, he'll, he presses in in our weaknesses and says, that's who you are. That's not the Holy Spirit, by the way. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that he can help us overcome and raise us up with Christ. The Holy, the Holy Spirit may, may say something like, yeah, that's true. You did the wrong thing, but Jesus died for that already. You don't have to carry that sin with you anymore. When Jesus was on the cross, he said it is finished. He didn't say, someday it's going to be done. No. He said, it's done. It's over. It's finished. There's no more. Stop carrying your junk with you because Jesus already died. He extended mercy towards you. Towards you. He cares about you. I I just feel like I've got to read this statement again. The the same God who spoke everything into existence cares so much about you that he personally reaches out to you through the power of the gospel and speaks light into your dark heart. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You are a part of the world that Jesus died for. He cares about you. Now, um, Paul gives us even more words about this in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, And you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit now working in the disobedient. Here's what Paul says. That's who you used to be. You were dead. And by the way, dead people can't do anything. I think the reason God uses that language, he wants us to remember that no matter how hard you try, you can't raise yourself up out of that. But then he says in verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Not on the basis of anything that you did. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, this is, we've heard this before. Well, you need to hear it again. Do you know why? Because we forget. I don't know about you, but every week I wrestle with this in some way. The accuser of the brethren comes along and he, and he starts making me think it's about me and that I'm somehow earning my salvation. And God has to remind me, no, you're saved by grace, son. Stop acting like you're earning this and trust in me. See, whenever I start thinking that I'm earning it, everything starts to derail for me. I've got to come back to the basis of the truth of the gospel and realize God, Christ is Lord. He's extended mercy to me, and I am receiving his mercy. Because God loves me, because God loves you, we have been able to see by the illumination of the Spirit, how foolish this world is to choose the, the, the fruit of the Garden of Eden over 
trusting God and following after Christ. And now, not only have we seen that we've had this reversed in us by the work of the Holy Spirit, he's reversing the work of Adam. So the last thing that we're going to look at here, we want to think about what is God calling us to do because of all this. And Paul is really clear. Again, he says in, uh, in verses 2 through 4, I just want to read this one more time. He says, Instead, we have renounced the secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully and distorting the word of God, but commending, uh, commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here, here's what Paul tells us. He tells us that, I think he really, he gives us three critical things here. And these may be action points for us. He says that, that as, as believers, because of the Holy Spirit's work in us, we've, we've won, we, we've become honest about what sin is and we renounce it entirely. We have renounced secret and shameful things. So here's the thing. When you see sin and brokenness in the world, as a follower of Christ, here's what you can do. You see that thing and you, and you say, no, that's not right. That's broken. That's not good. You see someone who's hurting and broken and marginalized. You can say, that is not good. That is not the way God designed this world to work. I reject that entirely. That's why we Christians in this day, we stand against racism. We stand against the brokenness that we see around us. We stand against violence, and we say that's not the way of Christ. We stand against all these things that we see. And the reason we stand against them is because in Christ we have the power of God and the power of the gospel, and we renounce the works of this world. We renounce them. But also... We are honest about God's word. He, he says that we, we, we are not acting deceitfully or distorting, distorting the word of God. We're honest about it. We take God's word exactly as it is for what God is saying to us. And we're honest about it. Not only with ourselves, but also with others. And then a third thing that we do is we emphasize God rather than ourselves. Just like Paul says, I... He says, I didn't come to prop myself up. I didn't come to be known by you. I came to share with you the glory of Christ. We are called by God to live our lives in such a way that people see one that Christ is Lord in us. You know, in us. They see it. Two, that Christ has extended mercy and we've received it. And, and three, that we are now going to live our lives as a response to God's mercy rather than like the rest of the world lives it, trying to get as much as they can out of life before they die. I can give myself away sacrificially. I can die to myself and live to Christ. Why? Because I know this world is not my home. There's so much more God is trying to do. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul writes, just as you have always obeyed, so now 
not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Also, he tells us in Romans 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Here's our calling, church, to take everything that we've heard today and to remember that that God's Light is persistent in us, but it's not only persistent in us, it's persistent through us. We often say that what God does to you, he also wants to do through you. If you've come to understand his grace and his mercy, then he's also called you to speak grace and mercy into other people's lives who don't yet have the grace and mercy that you've experienced through Christ. So as we've already been saying, Our dream, our vision as a church is to see the Oklahoma City Metro saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. Those two go hand in hand. And God's call to us as a church, I believe, is to ask the question, how am I going to participate in the work of Jesus because of what I've received from Jesus? He's worked on me, now how am I going to help him? How am I going to help him work on others? So have you trusted Christ? Are you committed to living daily in his mercy? His light is persistently with all of us who have placed our faith in him. And we can be fully at rest in Christ. And we can work from a place of being at rest in Christ. And that's what he's given us as a gift. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.